If ever a team needed a bit of a winter break and a reset, it was Arsenal. A run of three straight defeats in League and Cup rocked Mikel Arteta's men, but they're only five points off top spot in the title race, so all is not lost. Was this just the kind of wobble that can happen to any team, or was it the start of something more serious? I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. We're more or less back to full strength after our recent injury crisis. Although, like my waistline, my tonsils have expanded to a worrying degree. So who knows whether we'll get to the end of the show with a full strength side. My top tipping team includes Mark O'Hare, of course. Mark, Arsenal were in bad shape in December. But are you confident they'll soon improve starting with this game against Crystal Palace? I'm not confident. Um... I have to wait and see, really, because the Arsenal that, that left us before their break to, I think, Dubai, where they've had some warm weather training, um, wasn't in great shape. And you could look at it in, from two ways and say, well, they've had an opportunity now to, to get that break and get some sun on their backs and get some shooting practice in. Um, and Crystal Palace at home should be a, a very winnable opportunity. But you could also say it's a potential banana skin against awkward opposition. I, I think the truth is probably... Somewhere in the middle there. Um, this is a type of fixture where Arsenal tend to thrive in over recent years, not just under Mikel Arteta, but it goes beyond that, you know, being strong hods on favourites at home against bottom half opposition. If you look at their record at the Emirates Stadium this season, they've won six games from seven unbeaten Premier League matches against teams outside of the top six. They've scored 19 goals in those seven games. But I think, understandably, there has been some warranted criticism, frustration towards their recent performances. Uh, one win in five league games. Um, I was quite surprised you read it out there. It's five points, the difference between themselves and, and Liverpool at the top end of the table. Um, but you look at the performance levels in some of those matches, uh, very concerning that 2-0 home defeat to West Ham, very concerning the manner of the defeat away at Fulham. Um, and so to be pretty much level pegging with Spurs at this stage of the season, considering all that Tottenham have had to go through uh, and where Arsenal were at the start of the season with that um, sort of big budget buy on, on Declan Rice and the sort of filling out the squad a bit further, you know, it's not great. It's not great viewing, really, from an Arsenal perspective, especially as, you know, just a matter of weeks ago, they were in a, a really strong position at the top end of the table. And I think stylistically, it's looked a little bit flat. I thought they, they started very well at Anfield, um, but perhaps they scored too early in that game, but they were second best thereafter. But yeah, against West Ham and Fulham, it wasn't great viewing at all. And they've not been the same sort of bright, energetic side that thrilled us last season, but was so formidable in the first six months. Perhaps they took the league by surprise last year. We, we, it's hard to sort of understand or, or tell what the... Um, what the turnaround was was for. It's easy to forget they were 50 to one shots at the start of last season. So to go so close to the title, you know, deserve plaudits really. But we did expect a lot more from them this time around. And perhaps the added layer of, of Champions League involvement has has impacted their energy levels. Um, but I just watch them in, in possession these days. They're not moving the ball with the same speed. It's been a little bit ponderous at times. They've looked a little bit too easy to play against. And I think opposition sides have, have kind of wisened up to the, the threats for Arsenal pose. You know, block the block the flanks, uh, suffocate Jesus in the penalty area, and Arsenal have lacked a clinical striker to just kind of score the opportunities opportunities they are creating. But don't actually suffocate Jesus in the penalty area. That's <laughs> extreme, isn't it? Really, it is. But I, I've been a little bit disappointed with, with Jesus. In all honesty, um, 
uh, you know, he's probably never been the, the sort of standout clinical striker we've, we've expected him to be when he burst on the scene in Brazil and and was leading the lights, uh, leading the line for the Salisau. But to me, he's he's more of a second striker, and I think Arsenal are lacking that kind of. I'm not saying Erling Haaland, but that kind of figure to, to finish these opportunities. Yeah. But I mean, I to be fair more... to him, that's what Arsenal brought him in as, right? They, they, hmm. Mikel Arteta seemed to want that link. Guys seemed to want somebody who would bring in others. I think that's part of the reason why he's not, he doesn't seem that keen on Eddie Nketiah because Nketiah, I know he's not an elite striker, but Nketiah is more of a a proper number nine, a box player, isn't he really? Whereas Jesus, as you say, is somebody drops a bit deeper. Yeah, so perhaps that's something for Arteta to to, to sort out, but I, I don't want to sort of criticise him too much because I think there's a, a bigger issue at play here. And I did do some sort of digging into Arsenal earlier in the week and I, I was quite surprised actually um, if you look at their goal scored column it's it's very healthy 37 in 20 league games that's a, that's a good reply now six of those goals are penalties one of those goals was an own goal so that's 30 goals in 20 games but the damning stat for me is 11 of those 30 goals came via set pieces so they've actually only scored 19 open play goals in 20 Premier League games which is a, a terrible tally for a team who are sort of chasing the title um Defensively, the numbers are strong, uh, uh, you know, comparable to, to Manchester City in terms of we know they dominate the ball, the territory. They generally don't allow too many chances or, or chances for opposition sides. But similarly to City earlier in the campaign, they have looked sloppy at times. They're giving away some silly opportunities through a lack of concentration or just poor defensive individual mistakes, set pieces as well. You think of Luton away and counterattacks. And it's just three clean sheets and 12 recently. So you kind of combine the two, really, um, an attack which is perhaps not opening up opposition defences as, as well as they have been in previous campaigns or a defence which is starting to falter a little bit. And yeah, I think there's a element of concern coming into this game against Palace. I guess the bonus really is Palace are going to be missing Michael Elise, who is a, uh, a huge figure in that side, as well as Jordan Ayew, who you know has his detractors, but he's a, he's a workhorse really and he fits into that Palace team quite well. So that's two key absentees. Uh, Eze was brought off early in the FA Cup match on Wednesday night to be fit and available for this game. So a lot's going to rely on him for Palace, but again, quite surprised at how good Palace have been at scoring goals this season. Their overall tally might not be you know, anything to write home about. But Palace have scored in 15 of 20 league games. They've also scored in 9 of 10 away games. They've scored at City, they've scored at Villa, scored at West Ham, United, Chelsea, scored at home to Liverpool, Spurs and Brighton. Now, Arsenal did shut them back out in August, but um, I think they'll be sort of licking their lips here, thinking there's an opportunity to hurt an Arsenal team who haven't been at their best um, in recent weeks. So, kind of digging around a little bit, I saw both teams to score, which trading at 2.3, which um, feels a very big price for a Premier League match, considering all we've spoken about throughout the whole campaign, really. BTTS in other games is trading around 1.4, 1.5. So, to see it at 2.3, considering Palace have scored in nine of 10 away days, Arsenal have kept just three home clean sheets and BTTS has paid out in 20 of their last 29 home league games. I think that's a very big price. Big bad Boise back in the house. Alexander Boys from our website, betting.betfair.com with us and ready to rumble for the first time this year. Boise, can you see out of form Palace causing any problems for Arsenal here? I know you wanted to talk about their relegation odds, didn't you? Because they are on the slide, it feels. Yeah, so first of all, what I will say is it's, it's a no-bet fixture for me. I, I do not like watching Crystal Palace when I see they're on TV. I give it the old partridge shug, you know, the gift that's very <laughs> popular now. 
even last night I was thinking it's very popular now I mean I think that's I think it's been been going back a few years it is but even (laughs) last night I thought um, I chose to go to the gym instead of watching a game of football last night because I could not be bothered watching Crystal Palace honestly something about them just really annoys me that's how bad they are you went to the gym instead (laughs) well wow maybe I just always want more (laughs) or I want them to play a little bit differently but I think if you take out at least say an Eze no one really excites me. It doesn't. That doesn't mean there aren't good players there, but I just find them fairly boring to watch without those two. And as Mike's just said, we know Elise is out of this one. So God help BT Sports on Saturday lunchtime. I don't like watching BT at the best of times, but at least I've got Lucy Ward on Corecom, so I do love listening to. But yes, I, I didn't intend to start with a rant, but I just they just <laughs> get my back up. They have. They have. Yeah. So people might disagree, but. So you're right. What I wanted to do is I wanted to look at their price to be relegated, which is currently 11 to 1 on the Betfair Sportsbook. So I think this could be a time to take a punt on them to go down. If it didn't look like the two of the other three spots are basically gone in Sheffield United and Burnley, I think you'd probably have a smaller price here. And I think it's only going to shrink because their points return over the next few weeks may be, may be fairly low as well. So it's nine points from the last 10. Point, and that's, sorry, last 10 Premier League games, which is only... Only the current bottom two, as mentioned, Sheffield and Burnley have got fewer. They've got eight apiece. And so Forest, Luton, Everton, Fulham, they've all got more. All those teams around them have picked up more of the last 10 games. It's the same number as Brentford, I will say, but and we know they're in bad form, but obviously even Tony is set to be back for a couple of games anyway before he sells himself to a big club. So they may need to be revisited, but I just think it's going to get worse before it gets better for Crystal Palace. So Arsenal this weekend, a huge game at home to Sheffield United next weekend or the next midweek after the FA Cup. So imagine if you don't win that. Then it's Brighton and Chelsea before two massive, massive games with Everton and Burnley. And I just think the pressure is going to be huge if they do not pick up many points over the next four before those two big games. So I think by the time they play Everton in mid-February, I'm, I'm not sure if something as big as 11 to 1 is going, is going to be available. And Mark mentioned that they have scored in a high number of games, but only the bottom two have netted fewer goals than Palace. And every time I was looking at different statistics for them, I thought I'd look at the price to go down because it was only Burnley and Sheffield United nearly every time that were performing a little bit worse than them in certain metrics. So I think there's a point where if this extends over an even longer period of time compared to this recent last 10, which has been really poor, I think they'll be part of only the bottom three. And I I think you've got a really good case them to go down if they don't pick up anything in the next couple of games. Spend the whole of Christmas and New Year just getting angry about Palace. I like it. <laughs> it's just all flooded out of him here. Uh, finally, trader, tipster and eagle-eyed viewers will have realised a man with an absolutely enormous water bottle. Um, Emmett O'Keefe <laughs> is with us. Emmett, what's the deal with the water bottle? It's massive. Yeah, yeah, it's for yeah. another thing. This is uh, your New Year, yeah, is just... it? Hydration. Hydration, exactly. Exactly. All, all, like all, leading nutritionists will tell you. Um, So yeah, that's I'm I'm following that plan. Um, for this game specifically, I yeah, I was looking at those those stats that Mark O'Hare looked about open play, about open play goals as well. Like if you're averaging the same number, sorry, if you said to me this season, halfway through the year, Arsenal had the same number of goals in open play as Burnley and Crystal Palace, I would have given you quite big odds on that. I think that's kind of that tells you where they're at. I was looking at Arsenal as well, doing a bit of a deep dive their statistics, and it does from everything you see. It appears they've kind of 
they've sacrificed attacking output for defensive solidity in that their kind of pass completion percentage is up and their possession stats are up. But the kind of dangerous positions that their kind of forwards are receiving the ball is down. Again, if I'm just chatting to Arsenal fans who watch them every week, they say that's the kind of case as well. It's a lot more kind of sideways passing. Uh, one, one learned friend of mine who he would say as well that Thomas Partey is a lot more direct as well than Declan Rice in terms of, and that's kind of a bit of an issue for them as well. That Rice is less likely to go for that kind of killer counter attack ball that'll put Martinelli and Sack into space. So whether it's kind of team or person. Personnel, they're just that bit more less direct, <clears throat> that bit more kind of less direct than last season, and it's and it's kind of when their attacking numbers are way down. Uh, obviously, kind of bad finishing is, is a part of that. Well, I think the statistical community and I would say that there's a lot of a huge amount of kind of randomness in when it comes to finishing. But with Arsenal fans, it's probably harder to sell to them because in Kai Havertz and Jesus, they have two kind of consistently really poor finishers, like who haven't been able to kind of uh, haven't but kind of been able to able to kind of book that trend. Um, I do think a lot of the talk around Arsenal to sign a striker is really fanciful and kind of people being people. I feel like just pundits. Like, it really annoys me the way pundits are like, oh yeah. yeah just get a hundred million, throw it on a some striker, and, and, and let's go. Like it's obviously Arsenal spent a couple hundred million this summer. Exactly, but exactly. They spent a couple hundred million this summer, and as well, like it's not like I think again, it's old school thinking to be think to, to me to be saying we we need goals, get a striker in. Like it, it, it's like 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 Liverpool have been one of the best sides of, of the last decade with Roberto Firmino playing as a nine, who no one would say is a, is kind of a clinical lethal finisher. So I think Arsenal's most realistic chance of improving their attacking output this season is getting far more out of Sack and Martinelli. Um, and I think, like, I think, I, I don't think it's, I think, like, I think it's not inconceivable if they're at their best and Arsenal are playing maybe a more direct style that both of those guys could hit, could hit double figures in a league, in a league campaign. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see whether Arsenal maybe do maybe change course and try to try to go back to last season's style of play because the issue they have is that given they're now they're now like an eight to one chance for, for for the Premier League like they're 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 uh, they're kind of behind the eight ball in, in terms of the points tally so will they maybe need to play more of a kind of a high variance style and maybe change it up from what they've done so far I would suggest yes if I think if they're going to catch Man City and Liverpool this season I think they're going to have to risk a bit more and and, and kind of give up some of that defensive solidity to kind of to, to, to get to get closer to, to get closer to the kind of the, the kind of 90 point mark which I think they'll probably need Need to kind of to kind of go, go this season, and this is a really tricky fixture. I, I obviously, Michael Lee says it out as 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 has been mentioned, but Palace as well have just been they've been tricky opposition for the better sides. Like they they drew with the Etihad. I guess you, you mightn't say my United were the better sides, but even still, winning at Old Trafford is is, is still a is still a decent feat. The listeners might remember their recent match against Liverpool, where it took kind of a dubious enough card against uh, against Jordan Ayew to really turn the game in Liverpool's favour. So I, I think, given where Arsenal, how Arsenal have been, this is just an awkward fixture. I wouldn't recommend a bet, but I wouldn't be including Arsenal in in your kind of Saturday accumulators this weekend. Now, we know injury time goals can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets, and now you've got 90-minute payout to rescue you. 
If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Ivan Tony could make his return to action, maybe, as Brentford face Nottingham Forest in a battle of strugglers. Alex, we know that Brentford could definitely do with a lift. Yeah, yeah and this is, this is pure Ivan Tony. It's funny how it works because his first game back after nine months is Nottingham Forest, the side that he's played three times in his football league career and scored in every single game. You know, it's his best scoring rate against any side in the football league career. So a little bit of fun there. And, and he's going to be desperate to start and score in this game, isn't he? I mean, the interview I referenced earlier that I watched the other night, he basically said he wants to move in January when he when he was quizzed. Um, and Brentford have basically put a, a price on him. So if someone's willing to pay it, they will be able to get him. So... I think he's. Got I mean, it's confusing, isn't it? Because he has said previously, and it wasn't that long ago, that he really owed Brentford for what they'd done, and he was prepared to see the season out. So there seemed to be conflicting messages. Here. Yeah, he said he said that right at the start, um, or, or the turn of just at the turn of the year, and then, and I remember thinking, "All oh, right, I'll, that's put to bed." But then it yeah, popped up the other day that he got asked one more time. You know, we can't rule you out leaving in January, and he, he was like, "Well, you never know." Depends who comes calling. So, and it's been, he's been like that before, you know, he's been quite open and vocal about wanting to go to a bigger club. I don't think many Brentford fans would deny that there's bigger clubs out there, but yeah, he's now sort of started to switch the rhetoric, I think, or the narrative already. So I think what better way for him to show he's not lost lost much in this time off by banging, banging in a few goals before the deadline. So just quickly parking Brentford's own poor form for now. You know, they've lost six of seven in all competitions, but the plus for us is that they've scored in all but one of those. And they, they remain a top half side in the Premier League when it comes to overall expected goals this season. So there is some encouragement there. And, I mean, they actually have the worst differential between their goals scored and their expected number based on the quality of chances they've created. Uh, 8.5 goals fewer. That's excluding penalties too. So... If they can turn the tide on that front, I'm not I'm not as worried as them like I was for, for Palace, as I mentioned before. So what side could uh, could need a man who netted Premier League goals, 20 Premier League goals last season? You know, this is perfect for Tony to come back into. I've mentioned his record against Forest. Now, they've had some good results since Nuno came in. You know, Man United, Newcastle beat both of those. But it's no clean sheet in any match uh, under him so far. Two of those have been against League One Blackpool. Have conceded nine goals in total, and only Fulham and the bottom three have conceded more than Forest this season. So it's been a long kind of problem from from the start of the season. Um, between these two sides as well, their games average three goals a game. So I think this is going to bring plenty of goals as well. So Brentford, like I say, they're in poor form. They've lost more points from winning positions, and they've lost four different matches this season after scoring first. So they do look vulnerable as well no matter the game state. Um, last season, you'd consider them quite tough to break down if they, if they got ahead, but but not this season. So the kind of bet for me is is a simple one. It's 6-1 to one for even Tony to score two or more goals here. I think they'll need a couple to win this game, at least. And let us not forget how big of a game this is, Kev. You mentioned they both are struggling down at the bottom. Um, so despite the recent boost of Nuno and Tony coming back, this is a real, real big game. I think it's going to be a cracking game, actually, uh, in the, the tea time slot. So... He'll be back on penalties. He'll be back on direct free kicks. I remember he scored a whopping free kick against Leeds last season. And he's going to want to show us all that he's back and ready for the step up in any way. Um, so I think this is all going to be about, all going to be about him. Five to four anytime doesn't get me too excited. So six to one for two or more for me. 
Mark, how would you see this one going? Are you catching a dose of to- Tony fever? Is that the way you're going on this one? Um, not quite, but uh, I, I agree with Boise that it could be quite an entertaining goal-heavy game. Uh, I've got both teams to score down as a five to six shot on the, on the exchange, which I think I like the look of, really. Uh, Brentford obviously in poor form. Uh, the underlying metrics suggest they haven't been anywhere near as bad as, as those seven defeats in the last eight league games, but they are now only three points off the bottom three. The pressure is on, but um, uh, you can understand their sort of downturn, really, considering the, the number of injuries and unavailable players they've had recently. But um, Ben Mee is back from a ban. Ivan Tony's back as well. I expect him to start in this game and, and have an impact, as, as Boise's outlined. But you have lost Visser, Onyeka and Godosh to international duty. They're still without Mbuemo. And Kevin Sharda, they lost both of their fullbacks. I know Regions signed this week to, to help them there. Norgard's missing too. He's a he's a big influence in the middle. So um quite surprised to see them as short as evens to win this game. Uh, a Brentford team who surprisingly have only won five league games all season, and they've needed at least two goals to win all those five matches too, because defensively it's just three clean sheets. Um, they're kind of figures you don't associate with this Thomas Frank and Brentford side. So um, I wouldn't back them at evens, no interest there. But um, Forrest having to go to extra time on Wednesday night doesn't help the case for them either. So I think goals is the way to play this. Um, from a Forest perspective, two of the back four that started against Man United in their last league game are now at AFCON. Um, I know Toffolo can come straight in for for Ainer at left back, but uh, Nia Carte's out and Willie Bolly is also away as well. So that means Joe Worrell might come back into centre-half. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago where he was being kind of parachuted into the under-23s and kind of probably sort of spoken about as, as never to be seen again. So, but Forrest themselves have kept just three clean sheets all season. So they've got two teams who are struggling to keep the goals out. But I think going forward, Tony back and Forrest have close to a full complement of their key forwards available. Um, Chris Wood, Morgan Gibbs-White, um, Anthony Alanga, who's had a, a great couple of weeks too. Um, to me, it suggests we, we should have a, a goal-heavy game here. I expect both teams to go for it, especially Forrest, who after the, the charges levelled at them this week, you know, the, who knows what's, what's down the line for them. It could be a points deduction and suddenly this match becomes even bigger than it already was. So um, there's no need for them to try and play out for a point here. They have to play front foot football. And I think Brentford will, will relish that um, prospect too. So both teams to score at five to six on the exchange. Let's do what neither of those teams want to do and drop into the championship because Sunderland take on Hull in a battle of Premier League alumni. Emmett, what's the angle here? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, a, on the face of it, sides here a similar level, sitting kind of seventh and ninth in the league. However, by the kind of underlying XG numbers, Sunderland are clearly the better team. Um, like, I just uh, even though both sides are kind of on losing runs at the moment, looks far more concerning. Hull have lost four of their last five league matches against kind of lesser championship opposition, as well as being knocked out of the cup by kind of struggling Birmingham. And then Sunderland, on the other hand, their kind of recent defeats are far more forgivable, losing at home to Newcastle and away at Ipswich. Um, I think kind of remains to be seen maybe how how good, how much better Sunderland are under, under Mike, Michael Beale, who was appointed in December. I think they're definitely good enough to get the job done against against kind of a struggling hull. And, and then they look decent value to me just, just under even to get your kind of betting weekend off, off to a flying start on Friday. Mark, is that the way you would see it? No, no. Um, I'd Good. probably go marvelous. Head, head, <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably go head to head with um, with Emmett there on Sunderland. I, I'm I have a question mark over them since McBeal came in. 
Uh, oh, is there any particular out. reason for that, Mark? Any, <laughs> any deep wounds that's been left, maybe, or anything like no, that? No, no, not at all. Um, I, I just deal in facts, really. Um, okay. And I've not been overly impressed by what he's done so far. He's playing Joby Bellingham up front for Sunderland, who is is not a natural striker. Um, he's basically ignoring the, the four available strikers who, let's be fair, ha- haven't really performed for Sunderland at all this season. But even still, he's getting a fair bit of heat for that. Um, and so Sunderland in forward areas, they've got key players like Jack Clark who can make a difference. But overall, I'm just not seeing a, a rounded side right now. And I think Hull are, are very difficult to, to beat at the best of times. And, you know, midweek in the FA Cup, Liam Rossini changed his entire eleven, clearly investing all focus on Friday's match. Um, I don't think they've been that far away from picking up some good results recently. Um, I think the actual results don't tell the full story. But I think it's a, it's a tricky game for me from a, a betting perspective to pick either team here at the prices. So the, the price that stood out to me... Um, I think one of the better prices on the whole card, home and abroad this weekend, was in the anytime goal scorer market. And that is to back Fabio Carvalho to score at seven to two. Um, he's joined recently on loan from Liverpool. He obviously ripped up the championship with Fulham during their promotion season two seasons ago, earned himself a, a move to Liverpool, featured semi-regularly for Liverpool last season, but then went on loan to Leipzig for the first six months, a move that just didn't work out for either party. He was played out of position, made only one start. So returned to Liverpool and Hull managed to get the deal done to, to get him in until the end of the campaign. And it's a serious coup. Um, he's wonderfully gifted, uh, incredibly talented attacking midfielder forward, made his debut against Norwich last Friday night and had four shots, three of which came from inside the penalty area, playing just behind the lead striker in, in a 4-2-3-1. He'll be given the licence to express himself here. And I, I think he's got the magic to really help Hull kick on and, and try and get back into the top six picture. I think 7-2 to two is, a, is a massive price when you consider the names ahead of him. Um, he'll be a shot machine this season. He'll be firing them in from all angles. Expect tallies of threes and fours regularly. Um, and with that kind of shot tally, you expect him to get on the score sheet semi-regularly too. So 7-2 to two suggests he's just a 22% chance of scoring at the Stadium of Light. Uh, but Sunderland have kept just four clean sheets since early October. And I think Hull have the ability in that squad to cause them problems. And, and Carvalho, who will be on set pieces as well, I think is, is undervalued here. So that's one to watch. In previous weeks, I'd be very surprised if, you know, March time, we get anything close to 7-2 to two on Carvalho to score in a, in a away game. Is this where it I can come in and just tip up the draw in that game so we can celebrate a winner either way? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good plot. It's a good plot. We keep everybody happy. Uh, not everybody will be happy this weekend because there's a big Hessen derby between Darmstadt and Eintracht Frankfurt. If you don't know about this derby, and why would you necessarily? Uh, These two properly hate each other. They've uh, burnt flags in each other's stadiums. They've had controversial and hideous cartoons about them uh, doing some quite hideous violence uh, to each other. Uh, Emmett, it's fair to say there's a lot of ill feeling, but Frankfurt to me are in much, much better shape going into the game. Exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the way I'm I'm looking as well. Like, but definitely kind of opposite directions of travel. I'll have a Bundesliga matches losing seven, losing seven. Their XG numbers make for kind of similarly grim reading. Whereas Eintracht are kind of in European contention, sitting sixth in the Bundesliga. They've won three of their last four matches with wins over Bayern and Leipzig in that run. They were maybe ran a little bit hard. brilliant against Leipzig last week. They were so yeah. good, got the early goal and just went, right, we don't need to attack anymore. We'll just see if they can play through us. And they couldn't. 
No, it's like they, they may be losing the shot count so heavily, but I still think, like, and then Bayern Munich, as was kind of well chronicled, but they beat Bayern Munich 5 1. That was kind of. One of, the, one of those games where they, they on, on the XG they, they were they were they were a bit fortunate. It wasn't a kind of a kind of a five-one type of game, but even still, I think Eintracht looked like fairly solid upper mid-table Bundesliga opposition, and I was surprised to see them at around two point on the exchange to beat such poor poor opposition. Yeah, I think it should be a straightforward win for Frankfurt, but of course, as we know, these. Uh... These derbies, violent derbies, are never quite that straightforward, but I think that's a fair bet. Now, no Scott Watch, stop panicking. I can hear you panicking. Stop panicking. It's just for this week. Mark hates cup matches, and it's Scottish Cup this weekend, right, Mark? Yes. Yeah. It's also so, freezing cold as well, so um, Scotland always bears the brunt of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So no time, games, so. <laughs> and even if there are games, he doesn't want them. So fine. So we're going to the Netherlands instead, shall we? Yeah, if we, if we can. Uh, the Eredivisie uh, for the game between Nick, Nijmegen and SA20. Um, I like the look of goals in this game, over two and a half goals and BTTS around evens. Uh, Nick are fresh from basically battling back from a 2-0 deficit to to draw away at Feyenoord last weekend. Um, a thrilling game after you know falling behind two goals inside the first half hour. Uh, it just kind of keeps up a, an extraordinary goal-scoring record they've had this season. So they've only failed to score once in their 17 league games this season. And that was against PSV, who are the runaway leaders at the top of the table. Uh, and PSV have only got a... PSV, the only team who've got a better goal-scoring record in terms of scoring in as many games. They've scored in every game in the league, whereas Nick and I, Megan, have scored in 16 of 17. Um as I say, PSV, the only side to stop them scoring a remarkably good record in front of goal. Um, even their games against the, the big hitters, um, excluding PSV, they scored twice, obviously, at final last week. They've scored three goals in the reverse game against Twente, twice away at RZ Alkmaar as well. Um, so if they can kind of grab those kind of totals away against top four teams, I don't think there's any reason why they can't oblige at home to FC Twente, who are up in third after a big win against RZ last time out um, but despite kind of flying high in the table RZ sorry um, Twente haven't actually kept their sheets clean since October's international break and they've only managed four shutouts all season so if you look at their 17 games four clean sheets two of which came against the bottom two um, it doesn't sort of fill you with confidence that they can go and, and kind of stop this neck nine making team from scoring so it's quite sort of numbers heavy here but um, ultimately you've got a a Nick Nijmegen side who've scored in 16 of 17. Twente themselves have scored in 15 of 17. They've actually scored twice more in 12 of those, including six of eight away. Uh, Nick have kept two clean sheets. Twente have kept four clean sheets. It's got all the hallmarks for me to be a goal-heavy game in what is a goal-heavy league. So BTTS and overs at even money. Worth bearing in mind, we've got daily tip sheets and coverage as the African Cup of Nations continues out in the Ivory Coast. It's all on our website, betting.betfair.com. So make sure you check out that coverage. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a betting feature so revered that at least three different celebrities turned down a slot on The Masked Singer this year because they could not bear to miss it. Uh, How this works is each of the guys come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and their lovely traders like Emmett here wrap them up for you in a boosted treble. Mark, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I'll just follow on from what I just said. I'll I'll back both teams to score when Nijmegen take on FSA 20. You aware of the masked singer, Mark? Does that manage to filter uh, its way through to you? 
I've seen clips and don't want to see any more, to be honest. So, yeah. <laughs> I thought that might be your reaction somehow. Uh, Emmett, what have you got for us? Yeah, I loved uh, Mark's disdain. Really brings really brings joy to my heart. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, for the reasons already given, I'll go with uh, Eintracht to beat struggling to start. Uh, and boys, you take his hat. So for reasons to come on the next pod, oh. I'm going to go for Ipswich win or draw at Leicester. Lovely stuff. That'll be on the I think I would be the giraffe. The giraffe in a mass dinner? I think that would be my, my costume. Oh, yeah, it would have to be, wouldn't it? You couldn't be like something small unless you crouched down. So giraffe would work. Is that you pitching to be on The Masked Singer? I'd love that. That'd be good. Then you take the giraffe head off and go, take it off. He takes the giraffe head off and goes, who's that? That'd be great. Uh, That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Plenty more coming up on the Sunday show, which is the one all the cool kids watch and all the cool kids listen to, including a preview of Liverpool's trip to face Bournemouth. Remember all of our shows now on our YouTube channel. Uh, Betfair has a new channel for non-racing content. So make sure you like and subscribe from Mark, from Emmett, from Big Bad Boise and from me. It's goodbye for now.